Hey all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Nature nerds and everyone else listening out there, welcome back. I'm Jen, and I'm sitting across from Megan. Hello. Who is going to be telling our story today. Yes. And who had a little uh, cold last week, was not feeling so great. <sighs> yeah, thank you for your patience. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Is that like the, the thing you're supposed to say <laughs> thank now? Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for your understanding and patience while uh, we had some technical difficulties in my sinus cavities. Because I don't know how to edit. <laughs> and I tried to learn and I was just like, nope. <laughs> So there you go. I mail yeah. stickers. We don't have any announcements today, but we will shout out some patrons at the end. I do have sort of a science news. I'm excited. I am going to talk about one of my other favorite podcasts, which is Criminal. Oh, yes. With Phoebe Judge. I'm Phoebe Judge. One of their more recent episodes that they did was called The Magpie. I don't know if it's one of their regular episodes or if they took it from the This Is Love podcast, which oh, is kind of like their other yes, podcast. Yeah, I like that one. Which I, yeah, I love them both. They're so good. But I listened to it and let me just tell you, you need to listen to it. So it's about this man, Shigeru Yabu, and he is in his 80s now. He's Japanese, and him and his family were put into an internment camp during World War II, along with a lot of other Japanese-American families. Mm -hmm. He actually, when he was there, he found a baby magpie that had fallen out of a tree, and the mom was like, you can't keep that bird. Like, it needs to go back to the mom. But the his stepdad, who sounded like a really amazing person uh, built a cage was like no no no, we can keep it and they fed it they raised it named um the magpie maggie oh. and it turns out that maggie was just like this really beautiful creature that made a lot of people happy so you should go listen to it he actually wrote a book um that is called hello maggie like a young adult book Oh, okay. I mean, I think it's kind of old now. It's kind of hard to find. But mm -hmm. so some interesting facts about magpies. You can kind of find them almost anywhere. They are from the family Corvidae, which includes crows, ravens, rooks, jackdaws, and jays. Haven't heard of a couple of those. Very intelligent family of birds. So one of the things that is, I guess, of this family of birds is that they recognize themselves in mirrors. Oh. So European magpies have demonstrated their remarkable ability to recognize their own reflections in mirrors, which is something that was once thought to be a defining characteristic belonging to only to humans. Mm. Like, hey, you, I see you. You're good enough. You're smart enough. <laughs> Dog on it. People like me. That's right. So now we know that the birds can do that too. They also said that they tried this on a lot of species. Um, only four of the ape species and bottlenose dolphins and Asian elephants have demonstrated that ability. So anyway, scientists tested magpies by placing this colored mark on their necks which should not hurt or cause any skin irritation. Oh, okay. Just so you know. And then they placed them in a cage with a couple of mirrors and the birds were filmed scratching at their necks after looking at their reflections. And with all other controls in place, this could only mean that magpies had recognized themselves in the mirrors. They were like, that bird there has some shit on its neck and that's me. So it wasn't just that. The birds had differentiated between their normal physical state and their now marked plumage. Also, scientists believe that self-awareness in birds and certain mammals may be an example of convergent evolution. 
in which unrelated species evolve particular characteristics through different means. Another example of that would be our very own set of camera eyes. Octopus. Dun, dun, dun. Uh. (laughs) They're giant eyes. Aliens. That you can hold with two hands. I'm just imagining that magpie looking Mm -hmm. in the mirror and being like, man, I must have got real drunk last night. Just got this tattoo. (laughs) Where did it come from? (laughs) But it was so fun. Yeah. So another thing is, what do you call a group of magpies? Is it not a murder? It's a parliament. (laughs) They um, earn this title from often appearing in large groups in the spring, looking stately and cawing at each other. Because that's what they do in Parliament, right? They look stately and caw at each other? It's so crazy. Like, we think our people are crazy. They're kind of like crazy in a different way. Thank you. Why do we think the English are like more reserved? If only like people still wore the wigs. Amazing. Another fascinating fact, the defining features of the magpie. Mm -hmm. So they share similarities with the other corvid family, like the ravens and the crows and jays. They have this like crazy long tail, extremely long tail. It's actually the same length as their entire body. That reminds me of the drongos here. It's interesting because the drongos here, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm not sure where they're from, probably somewhere in Asia. Because they're not. from hell. Well, magpies do the same thing. They dive bomb people. Oh. Yeah, we have these blackbirds here called drongos. I don't even know their scientific name. I just know that uh, nesting season, they basically just want to murder people. Drongos, hell yeah, say. <laughs> Definitely. That's that's exactly Thank what they do. I made that up. I don't know if you knew that. So they, can, they really don't know why they have such long tails. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be something with mating or whatever. But it, they say it also could provide the ability to make turns quick swift oh. turns in the air mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that they could evade larger predators. One of the things that's really interesting, and I know they've talked about this with ravens and crows, is that they have the ability to speak. One of the things that was in the story that was in Criminal was that the bird started mimicking their talk. <laughs> so I have a little, um, it's not, of course, that bird, but I do have a little video. I'm going to play it really quick. Hopefully it won't play an ad. I am horrified. These birds, I had heard that they also would talk. And that's one of the things that he talks about at the internment camp is that this bird started mimicking them. It kind of changes the relationship with that animal Mm -hmm. when you can actually talk to them. It might just be a repetitive, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're just repeating something you're saying, but they say it at the right time. They also are very opportunistic eaters. So they eat, you know, insects, small rodents, grain and berries, but they are also known to steal other birds' eggs, even their young chicks. Jerks. And lastly, Megan, I just wanted to share that they actually don't like shiny things. Oh. They're scared of them. So they have a reputation as thieves out to steal your shiny jewels or take ornaments from your garden. But new research has shown that flashy objects probably repel them. Oh. Yeah, they're actually scared of it. So anyway, I, you know, I listened to that episode. It was so sweet. 
mm-hmm. and sad. The Japanese American internment camps. I mean, just that whole thing in and of itself. But then, you know, it was just a really nice story. I 100% recommend. It's one of the newer ones. So just go to Criminal and look it up. And all right. Yeah, be prepared. To pull out my handkerchief. Just to, yeah, have it just pulling at all the heartstrings. I just want to real quick say that I've been listening to Bananas podcast. Like, oh, yeah, you're kind of into it now. They talk about a couple crazy stories about crows. And I happen to listen to one today. Oh, weird. About a woman who inadvertently created an army of crows. (laughs) (laughs) And it is really funny. The episode is from April 6, 2021. It's called Crow Army with Peppermint, but it's really good. So Megan, I feel like you were a little stressed out about researching for your story. (laughs) And so I'm so excited to hear about it. I want to know. You were like, I need to understand this. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand it. It's going to be real fun today, Jen. (laughs) I just want to say thank you for that science news. That was fun time. Oh, okay. Good, and yeah. yeah, today I am going to talk about something. We had this Instagram message mm-hmm. from Barbecue Sheep Dip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. About mining deaths in 1973, specifically, and Barbecue Sheep Dip said, Hi, I used to work in a mine near Kansas City. Hydrogen sulfide was one of many deadly mine gases. I would love to hear more about it on your podcast. Thank you. Fun fact, hydrogen sulfide is water soluble and when disturbed, the gas will plume into a lethal cloud. Love your show. And that is true. Yes, I did originally start out looking at hydrogen sulfide and what happens Mm -hmm. when you are exposed to hydrogen sulfide. And it smells like rotten eggs. It has kind of like a sulfur Mm -hmm. smell. But... If you are exposed at high levels, it actually damages smell receptors and you can't smell it. It's like odorless and then you die. Let me just tell you, at low levels, hydrogen sulfide causes irritation of the eyes, nose and throat. Moderate levels can cause headache, dizziness, nausea and vomiting, as well as coughing and difficulty in breathing. Higher levels can cause shock, convulsions, coma and death. Holy crap. And it happens really quickly. I feel like that's what my dog was trying to do to me today. He was just letting some bombs go. (laughs) That's and amazing. they had, they were very sulfury. Sulfury? Yeah. Eggy. I was like, are you just trying to murder me right now? Is that what's happening? Ugh. When you're doing things like oil refining, mining, or rayon manufacturing, it can be a byproduct of those processes. And in the case that Barbecue Sheep Dip was talking about, I, I saw this YouTube video about a Kansas City mine. I think it was Kansas City mine. Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri? Oh, don't even. Why are you asking me these questions? Because I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, <laughs> and it's on the edge. Let's just say Missouri. That's great. Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> I'm not sure where. I apologize. But yeah, I'd watched this YouTube video, and it was like a reenactment of an actual hydrogen sulfide uh, mining disaster where one guy like their fans stop working because you know in mines they run these fans to get all the gases out of the shafts have you heard of that before they have fans have they always had that because i imagine a long time ago not always yeah yeah, they were just like yeah we're going to talk about all that business but they had these fans but i guess they stopped working and and there was some water that was sitting there and basically the coal dust and the water combined to make this hydrogen sulfide gas this guy went in the next day Uh uh-huh And he got kind of disoriented. He came out and he was like, oh, I think there's gas in there. And then another guy went in there. He's like, let me go check. Passes out. Oh, my God. Actually dies. (gasps) Was this recently? This is like in the 70s. Oh. Then two other guys come in to check on that guy. Oh, no. Pass out. Die. (gasps) Yeah. 
No. It was crazy. Guys, it was like, basically like a succession of people going in until they like realize like, don't go in. We have to clear out the mine. Anyway, oh my God. I was going to go with that story, but I couldn't find enough information. It was just like this one video on like this succession of people. And it was a really low number of people. And then I started thinking about like mining accidents. Uh-huh. We've kind of talked about maybe talking about mining accidents before. But I'm not going to talk about the, my, the was it the Philippines? Where was it? Why can't I remember it? People are probably yelling at us right now because there's like a big story about these like miners that got uh-huh. trapped. Uh-huh. Was it Chile? Yeah, Chilean oh, miners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. I'm not going to talk about that story. I'm going to talk about the top 10 coal mining disasters. Dun, dun, dun. Let me just say that it said top 10 coal mining disasters, but mm-hmm. actually on my list, I have 11. And I'm not sure where I added one in because I looked at a couple different articles about uh-huh. these. And I might have added this one because all of the top 10 are not in the US. So are we starting from like... Least worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because they're all bad, obviously. Yeah, we'll get to number one. Because the word disaster. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the first one I'm going to talk about is the Monaga coal mine disaster that occurred on December 6th, 1907. This disaster was caused by something called fire damp, which is just what miners call methane gas. I don't know why they call it fire damp. It might just be an old timey term for before they figured out methane was methane. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's a weird word for methane gas. So this explosion happened because there was uh, that fire damp or methane gas buildup mm-hmm. and then coal dust. And they think maybe there was some kind of light that was lit. Oh. They don't really know. Some kind of open flame that ignited the explosion. And this happened at... Two of the mines in the Monaga mine facility operated by Fairmont Coal Company in West Virginia. So when this explosion happened, the ventilation system, there was also a boiler house and the fans for the mines were completely destroyed. So that meant that once it exploded and things kind of collapsed in, that Mm -hmm. all of that gas was like trapped in there and couldn't be blown out. And anybody who was still in the mine with the gas... Uh, couldn't get any kind of relief. So either they were crushed or they died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Actually, they were trying to get in through another part of the mine, but they didn't have good quality breathing equipment because this is 1907. Because 1907, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. And they could only stay in the mine for 15 minutes at a time. So making their rescue mission impossible. Like there's no way they're going to get in there far enough to get everybody out. So the majority of the workers in this mine were actually immigrants from Europe. One Polish miner was rescued and then four Italian miners escaped. It is considered the worst coal mining catastrophe in the United States. A total of 300, I'm sorry, 362 people died and 171 of them were Italian immigrants. That's your people. My gosh, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people and that's, number 10 i bet there were a lot of kids yeah because back then like oh yeah 10 year olds were going to work so nobody could ever get them out they're just buried there forever i'm sure eventually over time they were able to open it and like start using the mine again that's a lot of these stories are like okay once everybody's cleared out then they start using the mine all over again so i'm sure that that happened but it's like in the time that they would be clearing all that stuff out there's no way that those people Mm -hmm. would be saved so this i guess is number 10 because that's number 11. And I put it in there because all the rest, like I said, were not in the United States. And I know that I, maybe Barbecue Sheep Dip was, you know, wanting to know about some United States mine disasters. 
I apologize. So I added that one in there. No, that's good. So we have the worst one in the US. Yes. Yeah. This next one is the Donbad coal mine disaster. It occurred on the night between the 27th and 28th of May in the Dori Colliery, which is a coal mine. I hate that word. It's really hard to say. Um, and this is near Donbad, India, or I think I'm saying that right. D-H-A-N-B-A-D, India. So this was, again, fire damp, methane, buildup of methane and coal dust that was ignited. Um, It killed 375 people. They think that it started because someone brought a hurricane lamp inside, just Mm. like an open flame lamp. And the management for the mine said that it was intentional. So they're like trying to blame the workers. What? Wait, wait, wait. What year was this? Uh, 1965. Um, So 10 years later, that same mine, December 1975, there was another explosion. Well, it was in the same, I guess, for the in the same area, not the same exact mine. Mm-hmm. It, this is in the Chasnalia Colliery, killing 372 people. Jeez. Yeah, for that one, there was a roof barrier that was damaged, and above the roof of the mine was a huge body of water. They don't say what kind of body of water, just, mm-hmm. I guess, a lake. When the explosion happened, it opened that up, and most people actually died from drowning due to the flooding from above. Oh, my God. I don't like claustrophobic stuff. Yeah, me too. When you, Even your like whole cave episode stuff, I was just like, ugh. It's yeah. like, you just need to breathe a little. You just, just need to breathe. take a deep breath, everybody. Yeah. Woo. Number nine. All right. So December 12th, 1866, at the Oaks coal mine near Stairfoot, Barnsley in South Yorkshire, UK. There was the second deadliest coal mine disaster in the UK. A total of 388 people died. This disaster was caused by the digging of new workings underground. So I guess they were starting a new shaft, maybe, or a Mm -hmm. new area. And there was a buildup of fire damp or methane gas and coal dust. And it got ignited. So I don't know if it was like someone had a metal and they hit the rock and there was a spark. Or what? Yeah, it doesn't really explain exactly how it happened. Um, The mine had already had a similar explosion that killed 73 in 1847. So about 20 years earlier. And it was known to have fire damp all the time. Like, they're like, there's always methane gas in here. So it was like already kind of a volatile Look, there's some methane gas in there. Let's try to jam almost 400 people in there. (laughs) Let's do it. It'll be fine. While the rescue for this 1866 explosion was happening, there were two additional explosions that killed an additional 27 people, all of them rescue workers. So this coal mine, the Oak Coal Mine, was the largest, one of the largest coal mines in England. And over its operation, it experienced 17 additional explosions. It was finally shut down in 1960, sometime in the 1960s. So number eight, this is June 6th, 1972 at the Wanky. <laughs> I think that's the name. W-A-N-K-I-E. I was like, why? Where, where? It's a coal mine in northwest Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. There were multiple explosions leading to the deaths of 426 people. The initial explosion caused a blast at the surface, which collapsed the main shaft and killed four men who were there instantly. More than 400 mine workers were then trapped in the collapsed tunnels and died from either being crushed or the methane and carbon monoxide fumes. The explosion was thought to have come from a dynamite magazine, like someone just accidentally left a dynamite magazine someplace. I don't know what that's about. But uh, initially, eight men were pulled alive from the mine. But the next day on the 7th, there were two additional explosions, which pushed more methane and carbon monoxide throughout the tunnels, and they could not do any rescue operations because of that. Uh, I think this is number seven. January 21st, 1960, the Colebrook Mine 
at the Clydesdale coal mine near Sasolberg, Orange Free State, South Africa. There was the worst ever disaster in South Africa's history. It led to the deaths of 435 people. There was a collapse caused by this, the disintegration of 900 pillars supporting the tunnel roofs. At the time of the collapse, there were approximately a thousand miners working. A little more than half were able to escape. They climbed out of an incline shaft. Unfortunately, there were no drilling machines able to make a hole large enough on the side or mm-hmm. like to make another exit for them. So the other miners were trapped in the tunnels, the 435. Uh, after that happened, the Chamber of Mines purchased a suitable drill that would work if future accidents happened. Uh, that way they'd be able to get people out. So, they so that was 1960. Did not get them out. I mean, I'm sure eventually they did open it back up. But oh. I'm telling you, mines are like the cost benefit ratio of mining includes people's lives. Um, October 14th, 1913 at the Universal Coal Mine in, I don't know how to say this right because it's in Wales. Glamorgan. It's perfect. But there's other words that are like shenangela. I don't know. S E N G H E N Y D D. Nope. Some Welsh uh, for you right there. Near Carafilly, Glamorgan, Wales. Uh, this was the worst ever mining tragedy in the UK that led to the deaths of 439 miners. It was Jeez. another, you guessed it, coal dust explosion. Methane gas, coal dust, ignition. Somebody just lit a cigarette. A number of miners died from the initial explosion and the subsequent fire. That sounds awful. Uh, But most were killed from carbon monoxide poisoning. From being trapped. Yeah. They couldn't for sure determine the origin of the fire, but generally people agree that methane gas was involved. And apparently there had been a number of violations of the 1911 Coal Mines Act because of the lack of safety. And in May of 1914 to the next year, the mine manager, Edward Shaw, he was convicted of eight charges and fined 24 pounds for the deaths of... 439 people. So a local newspaper had a headline that said miners lives at five and a half pence each. Wow. So that's the worst ever uh, tragedy, mining tragedy in the UK. November 9th, 1963. This is at the Mitsui Miike coal mine in Omuda, Fukuoka, Japan. 458 miners were killed and 833 were injured. This is a tunnel explosion. It was about 500 meters below the mine entrance. Uh, There was a blast and a fire, just like the previous one. It collapsed the roof at multiple locations in the tunnels, and then the tunnels filled with carbon monoxide. Most of the deaths were due to carbon monoxide poisoning, and there were some poison survivors that made it out, but they suffered severe brain damage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Miike was one of the oldest and largest coal mines in Japan, and there was an investigation of the cause of the accident. And as a result, the management improved the emergency procedures of the security measures and resumed mine operation. And the mine was eventually closed down or abandoned in March of 1997. That's a lot of people. All right. This next one is May 19th, 1960. This is the Lao Baidong coal mine near Datong in the Sangxi province of China. Wow, good job. This was the second deadliest mine disaster in China, leading to the deaths of 684 people. For more than three decades, the Chinese government suppressed the cause of the explosion. They were like, we are not going to tell you. Um, in 1992, they finally reported that the explosion was caused by a buildup of, you guessed it, methane gas. 
It is the most fatal coal mine disaster since the inception of the People's Republic in China in 1949. So December 15th, 1914, there was an explosion at the Mitsubishi HOJYO coal mine located on the island of Kyushu uh, in Japan. 687 people died. This makes it the worst mining accident in Japanese history. This was fire damp and coal dust Mm -hmm. that ignited and the explosion caused black smoke to come gushing out of the air vents and there was a mine shaft like a vertical mine shaft and when the smoke came out it blew the mine shaft cage where like workers go in to go down to the mine Mm -hmm. blew it up as high as 50 feet or 15 meters just straight out of the shaft I guess this is just a little side note. Uh, Most Japanese mines, wives and husbands work together. They estimated that 20% of the people killed in this accident were women. I was going to ask you if if there were women. I think majority men. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, children for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, Women, definitely. There were probably some women in there. This last one is in France. The Couriers Mine, I think I'm saying that right, C-O-U-R-R-I-E-R-E-S, Mine Disaster. That happened on March 10th, 1906. 1,099 people died, making it Europe's worst mining disaster. There was a coal dust explosion, possibly caused by an accident during the handling of mine explosives, or it was caused by the ignition of methane because someone brought a naked flame into the mine. Initially, the fire was detected the previous afternoon. So the fire started the previous afternoon. Mm -hmm. They actually closed the outlets to the pit, this one area in the shaft, so that it would uh, kill the fire. Like they were going to suffocate the fire. But unfortunately, the fire never fully smothered. And the next morning, um, you know, they opened it. And then there was a massive explosion that caused a blast on the surface. And they think that part of the problem was that there were fissures in the walls. And that allowed the gases to kind of like seep further. Yeah. And the explosion actually, it like covered a very large area in the local community. There were like adjacent towns where lots of people were killed. I can't pronounce any of these French towns. Right. But that's where the majority of the people were killed. So it was like there were these surface explosions (gasps) in other places. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So people just hanging out. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a miner. I'm just living my life. And there's some crazy explosion from the ground. Yes. That's insane. So how many people died from that? So there's like 404 were killed in one town, 304 in another, 114 in another, and 102 in the last town. Which again, I just can't. They're super French names. That's horrific. It's like everything from the 1800s or Mm -hmm. early 1900s and before that. Mm -hmm. Life was very dangerous. Very dangerous. And people were super into mining. Yeah. How you make your money. Coal. Yeah. I'm just going to real quick give you some coal history um, from the United States. Some cool history? Some cool coal history, huh? Um, Approximately 230,000 miners work across 11,500 metal and non-metal mines in the U.S. today. There are 64,000 that work in over 1,000 coal mines. Still now. Still now today. Um, According to the U.S. Department of Labor 2020 Mine Safety and Health Administration, or MSHA, (laughs) MSHA, reports, there were 29 mining fatalities in 2020, making it the sixth consecutive year that mining fatalities were below 30. 
So that's 29. Good. There's 29. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, let's okay. Highlight that number. I wonder if the number used to be 20, and they're like, let's raise it to 30. Uh, so among those 29 fatalities, only five occurred inside a coal mine. Oh, which is a historic low. So in comparison, in 1910, there were 2,821 coal mining deaths reported. Yikes. Um, so the MSHA reports that three deaths occurred in Kentucky and Louisiana, two each in Arizona, California, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, and West Virginia, one each in Colorado, Illinois, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, Nevada, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Washington. So mining goes on everywhere on the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. Just FYI. MSHA enacted an educational campaign and updated rulemaking following increases in deaths between 2017 and 2018. At that time, half of all deaths were because of vehicle-on-vehicle collisions, failure to use a functioning seatbelt, and conveyor belt accidents. Ew, I don't want the conveyor belt accident. No. So after they enacted all this like educational campaign and updated their rules, by 2020, powered haulage deaths dropped to 21%. I don't know what it was before that, but it was probably higher. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time in MSHA history, there were no seatbelt-related deaths. Yeah, wear your damn seatbelt. I know. Uh, and conveyor-related deaths dropped from four in 2017 to one in 2020. Whoever's in charge has to keep pushing those safety regulations. MSHA conducts inspections in underground mines a total of four times a year, and they conduct inspections on surface mines at least twice a year. I didn't know that. In 2020, mining companies hit their all-time high of meeting MSHA's safety standards, even with a global pandemic going on. But I think that I read some report where it was like most of the safety issues that they had in 2020 were people like not wearing their masks and stuff, like COVID-related issues. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They also saw an all-time low average concentrations of breathable dust and respirable quartz in underground coal mines, as Mm -hmm. well as exposure to dust and quartz for miners at highest risk of overexposure to breathable dust. I just can't say respirable. That's a hard word. It's a hard word. So basically, they're less dusty. The mines are less dusty. They're doing they're doing better with their precautions. So let's talk about just mining in general, because that's fun to learn about, right? All I need to know is what I learned from Loretta Lynn. <laughs> mining, Jen, if you didn't know, is the extraction of valuable minerals or other geological materials from the earth, usually from an ore body, load, vein, seam, reef, or placer deposit. So I'm sure you know what all of those things are. I love the word ore. Different ores that you can get from mining include things like metals, coal, oil, shale, gemstones, limestone, chalk, dimension stone, rock salt, potash, 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 gravel, and clay. Uh Uh, Mining is required to obtain most of those minerals because they can't be grown through an agricultural process. Because what are they, Jen? non-renewable they come from the earth they come from the earth did you mention diamonds i did not i guess you said precious jewels well gemstones yeah diamonds mining also includes any kind of extraction of other non-renewable resources like petroleum natural gas or even water Uh, mining started out as a way to search for stones to make some kind of tools Later, we as people would start to settle in more static, not nomadic communities. And then we started looking for resources that might be useful around us. And small surface mining was kind of the beginning to find building materials for like your home, Mm -hmm. right? Clay, whatever, or for like pots or utensils. An example of that might be high quality flint found in northern France, southern England and Poland. And those were used to create flint tools. 
The oldest known mine on archaeological record is in Swaziland, and it has been radiocarbon dated back to 43,000 years old. At that site, Paleolithic humans mined hematite to make red pigment called okra. Okra? Okra. O-C-H-R-E. They needed it so they could paint on the cave walls. That's right. The most abundant material people would mine was copper Mm -hmm. in the early days. Gold, silver, and mercury were also useful and prized materials. And then once people started to use fire and they began to heat up mined materials, that advanced uh, tools and utensils and pots even further because pottery heated from like a fire versus in the sun would be more hard. It would be more hardened and it would last more than like one season but that mercury really worked out for some people (laughs) not so much Mm -hmm. Um, additionally metals could be melted and reformed into tools or more useful objects and actually this totally got me thinking about this youtube channel Mm -hmm. that i love that my friend dan showed to me um like three years ago and there's this guy who his name is john plant P-L-A-N-T. And he is from North Queensland, Australia. And he owns some land. And he started this, well, he started a blog. I think it was like a blog spot or something. And he would make these videos. It's called Primitive Technology. And he basically goes through all the different ages of tools. And he like builds shelters and structures and tools and weapons and all these different things. He makes clothing. So like a blacksmith? No, he's just like a guy. I mean, but does he do blacksmith? I know he's just a guy, but he he must know how to make weapons. He like taught himself. He's always ever since he was little, he enjoyed going out and like making shelters near the rivers or whatever. He says that he lives in a modern house. He eats modern food, all that stuff. Just sometimes he has this piece of property and he goes out. And he collects things from the earth and he makes stuff. Well, sure. Why not? I've watched his videos. It is one of the most satisfying channels on YouTube because he never talks. Oh. He usually has captions that kind of explains what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't speak in the videos. It's only ambient sounds of like nature around him. Sometimes he'll do like a time lapse. So you can kind of see him build a whole structure in one video. Oh, I like that. I like the time lapse. Yeah, yeah. Ain't no one got time for that. You don't want to no. sit and watch him make a thousand clay, like clay bricks, which he does. He makes a clay house. I remember watching this one where he made a heated bed. Mm-hmm. He like ran a whole channel through and like made this heated bed for his his room in this like little hut that he made. That's pretty cool. It's cool. So I, I feel like what he kind of is doing, and I don't know if he explicitly says this. I, I might have read where he said this, but um, he kind of goes from like Stone Age to Iron Age mm-hmm. to Bronze Age, right? Like all the different, mm-hmm. he learns how to make fire and then he heats things up and then he mixes metals together, you know. Does he work? I mean, does he have a job? He works. He has a job. Oh, my God. It's like a regular day job. Like, how does he have find time for this stuff? I don't know. It's just his thing. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't like people. Yeah. (laughs) You know what, Jen? He doesn't have cats or chickens, so. He's he's like out there on his land in some shorts. It's like cargo shorts. (laughs) Like, that's it. Collecting things from nature. He makes tools, shelter, pottery, clothing, whatever. He wrote a book called Primitive Technology, colon, A Survivalist Guide to Building Tools, Shelters, and More in the Wild. Um, it was published by Clarkson Potter on October 29th, 2019. Anyway, you should go check it out. I love that channel. I don't think he's posted so much in the last year or so. They're good videos. Anyway, in the process of all of these things that people mine for smelting came around. 
right? Because people are like mining different kinds of metals. Mm -hmm. They figured out that the next step was once you added heat to those minerals and metals, it could make different and useful things. Um, That is called smelting. It's the extraction of metals from ore. Smelting. I like that word. Smelting. So around 6,000 years ago, the Egyptians and Sumerians smelted gold and silver from ore. And then those metals began to have a transferable value because people were like, ooh, pretty. Uh, Tin was discovered next. That was uh, about 5,500 years ago. And then when tin was mixed with copper, it made bronze. Bronze. And we're in the bronze age because bronze was a harder metal. You could, everybody was super into it because they're like, you can use it for all this stuff. Yeah. That's when metalworking started advancing even more. Some notable advances and movements in the trade of our use of minerals or metals across cultures. Asphalt. I don't know if you know this. Asphalt was exported from the Dead Sea area to Egypt around 4,500 years ago. Cobalt was used to color glass. Egyptian ships imported gold from southern Africa around this time. And in Sumeria, metal coins began to replace barley as legal tender. So all this mining is pushing civilization along. Some examples include the silver mines of Larium, which helped support the Greek city-state of Athens. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. uh, A little. Fun fact, they had over 20,000 slaves working in those mines. So way to go. Slavery. Way to go. Romans actually around this time developed large scale mining methods and they would use large volumes of water, Mm -hmm. probably from aqueducts because Rome. Yeah, they would use that for a variety of purposes, including removing the like rock debris, which is called hydraulic mining. I mean, now we do it with like giant machines. But yeah, they would use it to also wash any ores that they had. uh, And then it was also used to drive simple machinery. So Mm -hmm. like a wheel or something like that, Mm -hmm. like a water wheel. Not just developments in the mining process. There were also more advancements in manipulating metals to create things like better military equipment. Fun. Shields and whatnot. Yeah. So we're getting kind of closer to the Middle Ages at this point in my story. So the mining industry in the Middle Ages was mainly focused on the extraction of copper and iron through open pit mining, a larger open mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was extracted from shallow depths rather than through deep mine shafts. Around this time in 1627, black powder was first used in mining. That was in Hungary, which I guess is modern day Slovakia. This allowed blasting of rock and earth to loosen and reveal ore veins. This was a much faster process, but as you can imagine, more destructive. A prime issue in medieval mines was that as miners went deeper, they would hit underground water, which meant that there was a lot of flooding. Around this time is when they invented mechanical pumps or animal driven pumps. Um, Around this time, Europe began to rise and governments actually gave miners rights to take land and profit from the minerals they found as long as a portion of their profits went back to the government. Of course. For granting those rights. Yeah. This in turn led to the building of nations on the extraction of natural resources. Where would we be today if no one ever tried to mine something? (laughs) What would we be doing today? We would be in huts. We would be in huts just gardening. Just gardening. Just hunter-gatherer style. It's fine. We don't need to mine for stuff. You know, that's just not human nature, Megan. Explorers and assholes. Find things out. We want to make something better. Yeah, and What's we, the next and best no one thing? cares. Yeah, or like just jam like 500 people in a mine. It's fine. Perfect. Mineral wealth from the new world. I don't know if you knew this. Mineral wealth from the new world. Oh, no, I don't know about mineral wealth from the new world. Tell it, me. It financed the Renaissance, Jen. Oh, there's some great artwork from that uh, well time period. 
It came from the New World. <laughs> the money for that. And at the end of the 17th century, at the end of the re- Renaissance, the Industrial Revolution or age kind of rounded the bend like a freight train, if you will. Did you write that, <laughs> too? I did write that. Oh. <laughs> In America, the General Mining Act of 1872 was established in order to maintain, quote, civilization by incentivizing prospecting and mining. And let me just say that when they're talking about maintaining civilization, what they mean is that people don't want things to go backwards. They like their silver forks. They don't want to have to eat with tin again. No. They want to keep, let's keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Just like we're talking about next best thing. So in order to maintain that lifestyle and gotta to have keep all digging. those shit, you got to keep digging. Keep, we got to keep doing it. Just keep digging. <laughs> just keep digging. So let me tell you about what was happening before the General Mining Act. Let me tell you about when I called Megan today and she was really grumpy. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, I'm reading about the 1872 mining. General Mining Act. Yeah. Yeah. General Mining Act. And it's melting my brain. Yeah. So hopefully I get this right. Okay. No one will know because it's from 1872. Uh, So basically, before this law, this act was put in place, Mm -hmm. miners were going out west, right? You know, all the white folk were going to go west, America, and they were Mm -hmm. like, let's go west. We're going to just take the land. Yeah, because nobody's there. Nobody's there. Nobody has that land. The government was was selling it. Yeah. I'm using air quotes for Uh like, you know, 10 cents. Because it doesn't belong to anybody. Yeah. It's just free land. It's fine. Yeah. Just go out there. So they were heading out west and they would prospect for loads, which loads are any kind of metal, any kind mm-hmm. of, it's just stuff you're going to mine, all different kinds of metals, things, whatever they could find, whatever they could mine, oil. So once they established an area that they were going to mine, they're like, this is my operation. They made these mini governments. They were like almost autonomous governments. At the same time that they're out there doing this, there was a lot of land that was being quote unquote bought and sold. Mm -hmm. But what you really should read there is stolen. Mm -hmm, And the federal mm -hmm. government wanted to get a piece of of that action. They were like, all these people out there, they're going mining, they're getting all this stuff and we don't get anything for it. Right. Like, what the hell? And so some federal lawmakers came together and they were like, you know what? These Western miners, they're squatters and and they're stealing from the federal government. Never mind. The federal (laughs) government was stealing from the indigenous people of North North America. America. But then there were these other Western guys in Congress who were like, you know, buddy, buddy with those dudes out in the West. They were like, nah, brah, these miners, they're performing a service to the federal government. They're promoting commerce. Okay. And they are settling new territory for the U.S. of A. So we like them. They're good. They're good. They're good for business. They're going to support us. We're going to support them. In 1864, Congress passed a law to essentially ignore any claim the federal government had on the land that was out there. So mm-hmm. the federal government was like, oh, this is all of our land. We own from here to there, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But they're saying, okay, actually, what we'll do is if you're a minor... And you're out there promoting, settling the West and like making money. We are going to give you the actual ground. Like the earth Mm -hmm. is yours to mine legally. We'll give it to you. You can own it. Mm -hmm. Even though it's quote unquote federal land, we'll sign it over to you. And a few years later, they added some similar rules in what was called the placer law, which I think is just like, again making it like easier for miners to go out there and just stand in an area and be like, okay, from here to here, I want to own this because I can see that there's gold or silver or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to mine here. Eventually, they took these two laws, the one that gave them the actual ground and the placer law, and they combined them together to make the General Mining Act of 1872. And they changed some of the wording up to be more broad. So before it would be like, 
you're you can go and you can get like clay and this like it's kind of specific Mm -hmm. gold silver whatever and then there was this guy who was like wanting to make some money on diamonds and so he was like you know what you guys should make the language like a little more broad you know there's lots of stuff out there that we could be getting at so they changed it to quote other valuable valuable deposits and in this case diamonds was Mm -hmm. one of those things and i guess there was like a diamond hoax of like 1870 something where that same guy who got them to change the language was like, Oh, there's all these diamonds out here. And then he got all these investors, but then there were no diamonds. And then he peaced out. And then he was like deuces yeah. because back in the day you could do that. No yeah, one would ever see it find, I mean, it's like, you just shave off your mustache. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Switch out your horse. Done. It's done deal. Just paint your horse. Poor horse. Poor we just horses. talked about horses. I know. I know. Okay. The law also set the price of the land claim. So if I go out there, they set the price to $2.50 or $5, two $5 per acre. I guess mm-hmm. it depended on what you were going to be mining. That price, Jen, to buy that land, do you think this law is still in place? 100% it is. And that price has not changed. What? Yeah. So if you're a miner in, I think it's like 19 states. And you go to a piece of federal property and you find something on that federal property, this law is still in place. You can claim ownership over that land through this federal law and you can buy it for $5 an acre. Does that blow your mind right now? That's blowing my mind. Well, there, people need to go back and look at some laws from time to time. There's a lot of weird laws. A lot of weird laws. Yeah. Yeah. This is a problem. Um, there are still, like I said, a number of states. I think it's like 19 states, a lot of them west, western states that still operate under this law. What's nuts is that the claimants who who claim that land, who write to the government and say, mm-hmm. I want to buy this land, they buy it for $5 an acre, they mine it, mm-hmm. they don't have to pay any royalties on whatever they profit from. It's written into the law. That doesn't make any sense. It's federal Thank land. You. This is why Wait, federal... it seems like there would be some laws like for Endangered Species yes. Act. There have been different opinions in, since 1872. The first one that kind of came into place is this thing called the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920. What that did was it moved certain minerals to a lease-based system. So instead of being able to claim and own the land, the government still owned the land, but they leased it to you at like five bucks an acre. You could drill for oil, natural gas, coal, oil, shale, phosphates, and sodium on federal land. Uh, Then there's the Materials Act of 1947 that said that there would be different processes for the sale of federally owned, quote, common variety minerals, such as sandstone, gravel, cinders, and pumice. Um, So I think that's really about like, I think the cost of those, if you're going to be mining those particular things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... In the 1960s and 70s, in an effort to address environmental protection, there were a series of laws enacted, like the Multiple Use Sustained Yield Act, the National Forest Management Act, the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, the Federal Land Policy Management Act. So those all ended up, I guess, moving certain federal lands out of the availability for these claims, but not all. But I would hope a lot. Hopefully. So yeah, I'm pretty sure... Arizona is one of those states. So, Jen, we just got to go find some federal land in Arizona. We'll go mine some stuff. I don't want to ever in my life do that. That would be awful. Like that. Yeah. Well, I drove through um, a lot of places in Arizona when I was still doing environmental consulting stuff. And there mm-hmm. were some old mines that were no longer in use, but a lot of issues with chemicals and they were super toxic and All the leaking and it was bad news. No good. So today, Jen, 
there's mining is still a thing, obviously. And we do a lot of mining for copper. That's like one of the top things because copper is used in a ton of electronic construction. Yep. Copper wires. Even alternative energy uses lightweight alloys and aluminum, even though that's something that's meant to replace mining for things like fossil fuels, whatever. Right. Or in some place, in some cases, aluminum. Aluminum. That's right. Um, Fun fact. I didn't know this. Australia had gold rushes and by the 1850s was producing 40% of the world's gold. They did experience declines in production, but Australia is still a major world mineral producer. Wow. Today, we have a globalized mining industry that's made up of large multinational corporations, which are people, Jen. So works out. Let me just go over real quick the process of mining. So you discover the ore body. Oh my gosh. So is this like a step crazy. by step? It is kind of, yeah. Okay. This is how we're going to do it, Jen. <laughs> we're, we're not, but yeah, we're not go ahead. At all. That's done through prospecting or exploration of land. It would be kind of cool to be a prospector. I feel like being a prospector is just wrought with bribery and just But I mean, so just to be like things. that guy or lady and they're like, so what do you do? I'm a prospector. What do you prospect for? Dates. <laughs> <laughs> Can you change your your bumble to put that you're a prospector? I'm a prospector. <laughs> All right. So once you find an area, you're going to look mm-hmm. at the extent of the possible value of wow. the ore body, the location of the possible ore body. Everything is an estimation in the beginning. So it's an estimation of the size mm-hmm. and the grade of the deposit. So you're like looking and you're like, mm-hmm. it makes me think of all of the movies that are out in the last like 10, 15 years about people fracking. Mm-hmm. And how they just go to like random farms and they're like, yeah, we think that you ha- you have a bunch of natural gas under your land. And those people and they're like, we'll pay you this much money because we think maybe there's going to be something here. We should do an episode about fracking. Oh, for it's sure. It's like effing up everything. I considered talking about fracking here, but it's, it's like, like a so whole much thing. stuff yeah. that I was like, I cannot. So yeah, uh, once they come up with this estimation of the size of the ore body and the grade of the ore body, the deposit, they are going to conduct a pre-feasibility study to determine the theoretical economics of the ore deposit. So basically, they make a giant pros and cons list. Mm-hmm. They do a couple different kinds of feasibility studies. They do financial feasibility studies, engineering feasibility studies, environmental, environmental feasibility studies, all the things. So they look at the risks and the benefits. And then based on these glorified pros and cons lists, they decide they're going to mine or they're not going to mine. This is really a how-to list. It, I mean, like basically. you're like telling some people how to go out and get some $5 an acre <laughs> land. And all right, you guys. <laughs> do the damn thing. I identified. I prospected. No. <laughs> but um, don't do it. But don't do it. Yeah, we're just... Uh, something the corporations will have to consider is the reclamation of land following the mining. And this obviously would be more robust in places where there are laws to protect the land. So Mm -hmm. let's say you're going to go mining Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Probably there's way more laws than if you go mining in Africa, some places in Africa, some places, a lot of places in Africa, like the whole blood diamond. Yes. There are these giant corporations that go around the world and they mine in different places Mm -hmm. and probably they make more money in poorer, more rural areas areas Mm -hmm. where people just aren't they don't have the laws or the organization to be able to combat these giant corporations work safety has also been a concern 
for mining and is put into, I guess, whatever kind of safety regulations they're going to have to stick to or adhere to. That's going to be part of their cost benefit analysis. Unregulated or poorly regulating mining, especially in developing economies, frequently contributes to local human rights violations and resource oh, conflicts, totally. which we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, and then something that really makes my brain hurt is that in those pro-con lists, the mining businesses take into account the removal of waste materials before they start mining. Mm-hmm. And waste materials, what we're talking about is everything that's on top of the land, trees, animals, soil, and they're just calling them waste materials. Yeah, because it's and, not and I want to be like any money to them. Are you calculating your carbon extraction correctly? Because mm-hmm. you're going to rip this land up? Have you like thought about the carbon credits that you, I mean, is that a thing that they put into their pro and con list? No, but I'm wondering when they do their NEPA maybe how much of that because i wonder if they have to do some sort of mitigation well when they finish the mining process they're supposed to return the land to what it was before which we all know is totally impossible and we're not talking about mines that were in like 18 1907 Mm -hmm. no one has to make them to where they were before but they're supposed to be and not everywhere but in the u.s it's supposed to be that you mitigate reclaim that area back to what it was before all right so back to this mining process so if the pros outweigh the cons they start developing they build mine buildings and processing plants they purchase equipment um, and then the mine will operate as long as the cost of maintaining all of those things is less than the benefit that the corporation gets meaning money and then once they've used it all up They start the reclamation process. Uh, There are lots of hazards to humans who work in mines. We've covered a lot of those. Exposure to dust, radiation, noise, explosive hazards, vibration, illumination, working in dark areas, dark conditions, Um, exposures to, to toxic gases like hydrogen sulfide, carbon monoxide, or methane. And then lastly psychological or sociological issues. So mining educator Frank T.M. White, who lived from 1909 to 1971, once said, in the past, mining engineers have not been called upon to study the psychological, sociological, and personal problems of their own industry, aspects that nowadays are assuming tremendous importance. The mining engineer must rapidly expand his knowledge and his influence into these newer fields. So he obviously said that before 1971. Is that something that people really work on? I don't think so. What would be the psychological ramifications? PTSD, depression. I mean, working in a dark environment Mm -hmm. all day. Currently, it's like you're working very long days in super dangerous conditions. And like the constant fear of like, if anything you do might accidentally set off an explosion or collapse or something like that. Yeah, if you're working in underground mines, but then also heavy machinery. And that seems like a stressful and it's a hard like physical labor. Yep, yep. All oh, yeah, things. I All I can't things. imagine. Very difficult work. Mining techniques can be divided into two common excavation types, surface mining and subsurface or underground mining. Today, surface mining is much more common and produces, for example, 85% of minerals, excluding petroleum and natural gas in the United States, and including 98% of metallic ores. There are also mining practices for more rare minerals and elements. This is called in situ leaching or in situ recovery or solution mm-hmm. mining. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's a mining process where they're trying to recover minerals like copper and uranium, and they'll put a borehole into the ground, Mm -hmm. and then they will put chemicals that will um, make those elements soluble. They're soluble already, so they put 
things that this is chemistry you guys i'm not into chemistry i don't know basically they dissolve the materials and then they suck it up oh. on the other side yeah except that you're like removing things from the earth and there's a possibility of whatever you're putting into the ground doesn't stay where you want it to stay yeah because it's not what was supposed to be there in Lots the first place problems. yeah and so then they pump it back up the other side it's also called brine mining pickle brine like you brine like your you turkey? Like you brine a turkey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I initially kind of made a joke about this next kind of mining, but it's really not a joke. Uh, <laughs> You're like, I was trying to be funny, but it's not funny. It's really not funny. Um, there are also things called artisanal mines. And originally I was like, it's just like a bunch of hipsters out in Colorado. <laughs> just like in a lot of tan clothing. But no, these are just mines that are on a smaller scale and they are owned by subsistence miners. Usually these are in areas where they operate seasonally. The miners who run these mines probably have a farm. Okay. And they work on the farm in the rainy season and they mine in the dry season. And these mines are mostly found in rural, poor, uh, developing nations. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the world's mining workforce are artisanal small scale mines. Huh. There's an estimated 40.5 million men, women, and children directly engaged in artisanal uh, small scale mines from over 80 countries in the global south. 20% of the global gold supply is produced by these mines, as well as 80% of the global gemstone and 20% of global diamond supply and 25% of global tin production. Wow. I had no idea. Me neither. That's like a thing, like a family would do, huh? It's a thing. I wonder if in these areas, people have these small mines. Maybe they're getting bullied out of the actual profits from those mines. If Mm -hmm. we're talking about gemstones and diamonds. Right. And they're doing it for subsistence. Can't be good. More than 150 million people depend on small mines for their livelihood. 70 to 80% of small scale scale miners are men and approximately 30% are women. Surface mining is done by removing surface vegetation, dirt and bedrock to reach buried ore deposits. There are lots of different kinds of surface mining. There's open pit mining, quarrying, strip mining, mountaintop removal, that's usually for coal, landfill mining, which I thought was actually super interesting. Because okay, do you remember seeing your first landfill? Like when you were maybe in school, I don't know, we did a lot of, I randomly went to a lot of places for like uh, compliance type things. I've or, seen one here on Guam. Have you ever seen one where they have a methane thing yeah. in it and it's like always lit? Yes. Right? Yes. To remove the methane? Uh-huh. Yeah, they've been, and I remember seeing that overnight and being like, why don't they collect it? Why are I you just burning it I saw one in California. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there are places where they're trying to collect methane, uh, where they're actually trying to collect like aluminum, metals, things like that, and like actually mine the landfill for those things. Oh. Yeah. Well, I've seen where they use the methane from a landfill to power some homes. And no, it's only like so much it can power, but... But still. But yeah, landfill mining has been thought of as a long-term solution to methane emissions and local pollution. So then there's subsurface mining. That's where you dig tunnels and shafts into the earth and you try to get these ore deposits. There's all different kinds of shafts. Subsurface mining can be identified by the kinds of shafts used to access the ore. So there's drift mining that uses horizontal access tunnels. So like across the earth, Mm -hmm. slope mining uses diagonally sloping access shafts, duh. Shaft mining is the one with like the vertical shaft. I think that's like the traditional mine that people think of where you get into like a cage and just go straight Mm -hmm. down. Um, And then yeah, depending on the kind of rock you are mining, you might have to have different shafts or like techniques of drilling or whatever. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So those are the most common ty- common types of subsurface mining. There are many others. Shrinkage, stope mining, long wall mining, room and pillar mining, hard rock mining, bore hole mining, drift and fill mining, long hole slope mining, sublevel caving and block caving. It all sounds not good. It sounds awful, all of it. And I'm sorry, no disrespect to any miners yeah. out there, any mining families. It's just for me personally. Yeah, it hurts your heart. Yes. Yeah. Don't want. There is a lot of heavy machinery used in mining. We were talking about all those accidents that mm-hmm. happened earlier. Um, so this is like Bob the Builder's wet dream. Drills, trams, lifts, <laughs> trucks, shovels, like huge shovels, like mechanical huge shovels, crushers, mills, reactors, roasters, etc. It's a lot. In a lot of the stuff I was reading, it like describes all of them. So I was like, I don't think people really want to know too much. If you do, go look it up. What were the little guys in Fraggle Rock? Dozers. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's just what we, that's yeah. what people are. Exactly. Um, there's a lot of processing methods as well. So you can chemically process or mechanically process the ore that you get. So crushing, grinding, washing is the mechanical kind. Chemical, obviously, you add a chemical to it. Mm-hmm. Like the one I was talking about, the in situ, whatever. So there's a lot of information on the development of better protections for the environment and how major mining corporations are working to adhere to international standards for dealing with waste and ecological ecological impacts of mining. But I'm going to skip all that because it's a ton. I did want to talk a little bit about that miners are protected by some international labor laws, but they're still working in unsafe environments. So like we were talking about before, lack of safety equipment, dust exposure, the collapse, pollutants, all these things. They're working, um, people today are still working in inhumane conditions, spending numerous hours working in extreme heat, darkness, and 14-hour workdays with no allotted times for breaks. No breaks. Um, there's still a lot of child labor problems. Uh, there are a lot that are happening specifically in the the Democratic Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. things like children carrying sacks of cobalt weighing 25 kilograms from small mines to local traders, and then being paid for their work only in food and accommodation. A lot of these mines are providing ore for parts that go into modern technology. And because of that, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla have all been implicated in lawsuits brought forth by families whose children were severely injured or killed during mining activities in Congo. Isn't that crazy? In December 2019, 14 Congolese families filed a lawsuit against Glencore, a mining company which supplies the essential cobalt to these multinational corporations with allegations of negligence that led to the deaths of children or injuries such as broken spines, emotional distress, (gasps) and forced labor. Oh my God. Yeah, this is happening today, December 2019. Oh my gosh. That's not today, though. Well, I mean, they filed the lawsuit in 2019, so I'm sure it's still happening (laughs) today. (laughs) Today. Today, today. It's happening right now. We kind of mentioned this a little bit, mining company conflict with indigenous people. It's ongoing. Almost a third of 227 murders in 2020 were of indigenous people's rights activists on the front lines of climate change activism linked to logging, mining, large scale agribusiness, hydroelectric dams and other infrastructure, according to Global Witness. Uh, In Australia, the Aboriginal peoples said mining posed a threat to their living culture and could damage sacred heritage sites. In the Philippines, an anti-mining movement has raised concerns regarding, quote, the total disregard for indigenous communities, ancestral land rights. And there were so many people in opposition to mining that a governor ended up proclaiming a ban on mining operations in Mountain Province, Philippines. So... That's some positive news. Did you know that 95% of the energy used to make aluminum from bauxite ore is saved by using recycled materials? Hmm. But did you know, Jen, that in 2010, the International Resource Panel hosted the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP, 
Um, they published reports showing that metal stocks in society can serve as huge mines above ground. As recycling rates are low and so much metal has already been extracted, some landfills now contain higher concentrations of metal than mines do themselves. What? Yeah. Because so we- nobody is recycling. Come They're on. like, did you know you could recycle all this stuff? And everyone's like, yeah, that's great. Just put it in the landfill. Ugh. I mean, we're going to be mining landfills. It's going to be a thing. A study by Cranfield University has found that 360 million pounds, like money, pounds worth of metals could be mined from just four landfill sites in the UK. 360 million pounds worth of metals are just sitting in a landfill, four different landfills in the UK. The very first landfill mine ever to be opened was in Tel Aviv in 1953. Whoa. I know. But a little work has followed due to the abundance of accessible ores. I feel like until there's nothing left in the earth, (laughs) people will not look towards these other options. I wonder why, though. Is it it more costly or? Maybe there are more processes that they haven't done yet. Uh Like the technology to clean those. Because I know that even if we're talking about aluminum cans, they have um, plastic Mm-hmm. wrap on them or like the images like on a sprite can or something you know you have to like there's like that plastic layer mm-hmm. that you have to get off so maybe it's a matter of um processing yeah. to get the metal to a state where you can use it again kind of reminds me of that spaghetti story i told about how i dumped that spaghetti accidentally and in, in mm-hmm. the like right but i just like put it back in and boiled it, it was fine a little bit of dog hair and a little bit of rocks <laughs> a little it's bit a of few fish insects it's totally it's fine good. no big deal let's get to the number one worst mining accident in the history of the world are you ready oh my god i thought we already did this we did not i did i only told you the top it was like top 10 this is supposed to be 10 but then i had added that one extra one so oh, oh this oh, is oh. The t- i didn't know we stopped and then we is, talked and then now we're yeah, yeah yeah okay so this is the worst ever this is the worst ever yeah. Do you want to guess where it was? I, well, I'm going to say Africa, but it's a p- big continent. could be anywhere there. It is not, Jen. I'm so sorry. Oh. Okay. Um, April 26, 1942, at the Honkiko coal mine near Benchi in the Liaoning province of China. Oh, China. Okay. That was my next guess. Yes. <laughs> 1,549 people died in this Whoa. accident. Initially, the mine was set up as a joint venture between China and Japan to mine coal and iron, but the Japanese took it over. Uh, there was the China. I can't remember the name 1942? of that Yeah. Okay. Uh, a little bit before 1942, there was yeah. an invasion of northern China by Japan. Mm-hmm. They took it over. They forcefully ran that mine um, until the end of World War II in 1945 when... Mm-hmm. Uh, the allies came and liberated everybody. The working conditions there were awful. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, there wasn't enough food or clothing for workers. Typhoid and cholera were huge problems because mm-hmm. they didn't have supplies and they had really bad uh, sanitation. Miners worked 12-hour shifts or longer. And the Japanese controllers were known to beat workers with pick handles. And the perimeter of the of the mine was fenced uh, and guarded. And essentially, they were in a slave camp. Nope. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds terrible. When this explosion happened, miners' relatives rushed to the site, uh, but were denied entry by the Japanese guards. And then they erected an electric fence to keep people out. There was a fire. So there was an explosion that happened inside the mine. There was a fire that was going underground and the Japanese shut off all the ventilation and sealed the pit head knowing people were in there. Uh, Witnesses say that the Japanese did not evacuate the pit fully before sealing it, trapping many Chinese workers underground, and they all suffocated from the smoke and the gases. It took workers 10 days to remove all the corpses 
and rubble from the shaft. The dead were buried in a mass grave nearby, and a lot of them could never be properly identified because they had been burned in the initial fire. Uh, The Japanese first reported the death toll to be 34 people and downplayed the scale of the the disaster, saying it was a minor event. 34 people? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Later, the Japanese did erect a monument to the dead, but of the total deaths, 31 were Japanese. The remaining 1,518 were Chinese workers. After the Japanese left, the Chinese workers took control of the site. And at that time, the then Soviet Union investigated the accident. I don't know how they did the investigation, but they determined that the most deaths, that most deaths were a result of the carbon monoxide poisoning. So that is the worst mining accident in the history of the world. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So here we are at our organization to support. Are you ready, Jen? I'm ready. We finally got here. This organization is called Earthworks. You can find them at Earthworks. Org. Earthworks is a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting communities and the environment from the adverse impacts of mineral and energy development while promoting sustainable solutions. Earthworks stands for clean air, water, and land, healthy communities, and corporate accountability. We work for solutions that protect both the Earth's resources and our communities. We fulfill our mission by working with communities and grassroots groups to reform government policies improve corporate practices, influence investment decisions, and encourage responsible materials sourcing and consumption. We expose the health, environmental, economic, social, and cultural impacts of mining and energy extraction through work informed by sound science. So basically, they are not only like an environmental advocacy group, they Mm -hmm. also advocate for the miners who work in these just awful conditions. Oh, that's good. And I did look them up because I had not heard of Earthworks before. I might have heard of them in something, but I, it, I'm i not really super familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So I did look them up on Charity Navigator and they get a four out of four. Wow. I mean, a lot of people have minors in their family or, mm-hmm. you know, relatives. And yeah. so it's really, this is like a very important topic to them. And so if you did want to do- donate to something that... There you go. I've watched some uh, documentaries on coal miners, like the black lung stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Bad news. Do you ever see that miniseries called North and South? No. It's this uh, British miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's like 1915, I think is the time it's set. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's definitely in the Industrial Revolution. This guy has like a, a cotton mill. It's like a thing where they have like looms. Like okay. a lot of looms. And there's all this fluff in the air uh-huh. from the looms. And a guy in his shop lights a cigarette in one of the scenes and he goes and like beats him up. This like lady uh-huh. sees it and she's all verklempt. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you treat people like this? And he's like, I would rather beat him up yeah. than see a bunch of children die in this factory. And I'm just like, man, the Industrial Revolution, it's like so many cool things, but also a lot of death. A lot of death and like child workers. There's some child workers in it. So Jen, that is uh, the end of my story. That was really interesting. I learned so much that I did not know about. I'm just having a hard time thinking of what to put in our emergency preparedness kit. Yeah. Um, The only thing that I could really think of is like, uh, you know, because you kind of went through like this how to become a... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, like to mine your own pl- sure. five dollars so acre and be a jackass. Could be start- two. It could be two fifty, Jen. Well, it could be two fifty to five dollars. I mean, that's a that's a big range. That's a good deal. I would like to have a prospector's handbook for a, a trash prospector, if you will. 
Oh. Prospect some trash. Like, turn it into something we can use again. Go in and find all that recyclable stuff that people threw away and got thrown in the landfill. Let's do this. I mean, not to bring it back to Fraggle Rock, but what was the name of that garbage pile in Fraggle Rock? Garbage pile? It was like a lady. It was a lady. She was I like, just remember she was the trash heap, Wasn't right? she, like, clairvoyant or something? She was a... Yeah, she was a trash heap, I think. But the weirdest thing about her, if I can remember correctly, is she had cleavage. She did have cleavage, right. And it weirded no, no, no. me out. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Marjorie the Trash Heap is a large, matronly, sentient compost heap from Fraggle Rock. I might go with a how-to self-help guide to being a trash prospector. <laughs> That's great. Part of the pros and cons list of uh, recycling trash is that, like, you'll have to deal with a lot of murder investigations because you just find a bunch of dead bodies. Now you're getting me interested. So it's like slash forensics. That does kind of sound like fun. Trash prospector slash forensic crime solving genius would you make your pages out of like recycled paper Mm -hmm. everything has to be made from trash megan thank you for that and thanks to our listener who gave us the idea we have a lot of ideas i'm pretty much now running on just everybody's ideas bbq sheep dip i'm sure you have a real name uh, but I love that. Yeah, and I'm sorry that I didn't talk too much about the 19, I think 1973 deaths. The Kansas City incident? Yeah, it just, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't find much. They're going to write you back and be like, it's all right here. <laughs> um, hey, Megan. Hey, Jen. Let's shout out some patrons. Let's do it. So thank you so much to Anna for becoming a Patreon, part of our little nature nerd family. Thank you, Anna. We appreciate you. And I also want to give a big shout out to our new patron, Shannon. Shannon. Really? I don't know. I love that name. Shannon. I've got a cousin named Shannon. Uh, I have a very good friend named Shannon. She's very, uh, very Irish. Yes. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. We appreciate you. We appreciate all of our patrons. Yes. And if you would like to become a patron, check out our website, click on our Patreon link, or you can go to our link tree on Instagram and check out our Patreon that way. Other ways you can support, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker, possibly two if you send us pictures of your pets. Fill out the contact form on our website, or you can just email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail.com and send me your mailing address. It's that easy. You can also support us by checking out our sponsor links on our website sponsor page. All of our sponsors are eco-friendly, zero waste. You will get discounts using our discount codes and the links that we provide. And you can also support us by following following us on Instagram or Twitter and listening on any platform like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Oh, and if you have ideas for stories or you saw some interesting news or some science news, feel free to send us an email or send us a DM on Instagram. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. I worked at a pets. You remember I told you the I monkey pet a, store with the monkey pet monkey to pet yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. They had some parrots. I don't love this now, but at yeah. the time, um, so they brought in this baby parrot. She was a orange winged Amazon. I was nineteen. Yeah, and she was like, "Please make sure you feed this baby bird every day." And I was just like, "Oh my god, of course I'm going to feed this poor little baby bird every day." <laughs> that bird got attached to me, and then I ended up taking her home with me because I was like, "No one else can have this." 
poor bird. Like I will have her for the rest of my life because <laughs> that's how parrots are. They live forever. And so yeah. I was like, I will have her forever. She talked too. Just like what this bird was saying, she would say the same thing. Like, <laughs> what you doing? Huh? She'd always say that. <laughs> huh? What you doing? Huh? Right before I joined the Peace Corps, this bird that I had, her name was Thisby. All I can think is that she, because I would let her roam around the house mostly. Mm-hmm. I'd run across the street to um, see my neighbor. I think she flew out somehow got out the back door and landed in somebody's yard with a big scary dogs yeah i can only think that's what happened because i could never find her and it was so sad (laughs) oh my god why are you talking to me siri stop it siri yeah so i'd go out and watch these families of crows in different areas and it was super boring and i realized that (laughs) i'm not a birder and it's not my thing ornithology strike it out of the list i'm good <clears throat> no, I'm like, thank can you. I just study cats? I don't know. Chickens? On December 12th, 1866, at the Oaks Colliery, I think I'm just going to say coal mine. Just say coal mine. <laughs> so hard to say. Well, and that sounds like colliery sounds very fancy, like it would be something nice. Like, colliery. Like, let's just jot down, let's just go down to the colliery and, and get is, a, and get a coffee. Nice. <laughs> it's not. No. Just dusty and gross. And then that's why there is OSHA now. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like there has to be some like safety. Actually, today for work, I took a safety training. Did you really? I did because I had to. I failed it like three times and I then it. I finally passed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, is it, la, la. is it the risk management one? Yes. Oh, uh, I know about that one. I hate it. It's so tricky. Gives you scenarios? Yes. And then you have like A, B, you have like talk to people? No, I hate that yeah, one. Yeah. And it's it. like. It gives you multiple answers that kind of seem like, oh, that one's probably right. That fine. But they're like, no, you have to be wearing gloves. And And I'm like, like, oh, God. Stupid. Excellent. Did you ever see the movie The Coal Miner's Daughter? I did not. I saw it a very long time ago. I mean, I love Sissy Spacek, but I have never seen it. And Loretta Lynn. Well, yeah. By the way, Loretta Lynn believes in ghosts, and she had like... Somebody who talks to ghosts come and like go around her property. Mm -hmm. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Jen, if you didn't know, mining is the extraction of valuable mineral minerals. Minerals. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are those like edible minerals? <laughs> did I have an edible? Like what's going on? Minerals. Uh, I love I it. I did have a super weird dream last night and I wonder if it's like oh, affecting no. me today. You are kind of weird today. You're in a little bit of a funk. I'm f- yeah. What was your dream about? It was about, well, it was about being part of this Indian family, like from India. Oh, that's your, that's like a great dream for you. But, but it wasn't, it oh. was not good. I think it's because I watched this really strange crime drama about this, this family that all committed suicide together in India. It's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Anyway. There's, Is it a movie or No, like it's a, like a documentary. About, a documentary? It's for real. Like these people all kill themselves together. And a, whole fa- a whole big family? Eleven. Oh my gosh. Three generations. I've never seen a crime show like this. Screaming and it was all opinions. like super real. It was just like people being like, oh, there's this magical woman who did this to them. And just, I mean, superstitions, Whoa. all these. It was just real. I got to see this. It happened in Delhi. So it was is just it like. On, what's, is it on Hulu or? Netflix, I think. Oh. I don't even remember what it's called. I randomly found it. And I was like, this looks good. Then and I started watching it? it and then I went to sleep and I had the weirdest dream. Of course you did. It was so weird. That is super weird. I was definitely in a sorry. It was strange. So you were like, I want to be happy. I want this to be a fun dream. I'm in a sorry. But, it's, but it was it not. terrible. It was horrible. I'm sorry. It was horrible. All right. There's a song about it from this band called Ween. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> Their country songs? So like, I know about Ween because <laughs> didn't Ween sing uh, in the fish heads? Fish I don't remember. Fish heads, fish heads. They made a whole album that is like 
them singing country songs and it's they're kind of funny (laughs) they're so good they sing them really well and one of them is like i love you more than or i don't know it's anyway that's pretty funny it's early you know we're talking early 90s here yeah they were great somebody throw us some some love on the ween (laughs) (sighs) they sucked it up like a milkshake (laughs) did you ever watch that so good okay watch what i know what are you talking about do you ever saw that what daniel day lewis and we suck it up like a milkshake basically he's a oil miner he's an oil miner he starts out the movie like kind of okay but then he just becomes awful i feel like i know the movie and i haven't seen it yeah just look up suck it up like a milkshake yeah i'm pretty sure when he said i don't want to look that up i'm not googling that (laughs) i'm I'm gonna google daniel day lewis (laughs) i feel like i'm gonna google that and i'm gonna you're just gonna come across like two girls in one cup i'm just (laughs) no i'm gonna come across some stuff i don't want to have on my okay hold on oh Oh, i think it's called i think it's called there will be blood yeah, There Will Be Blood, 2007. Yeah. Yes. Did you know he was... I forgot he was Gandhi. Yeah, Crap. right? It, well, you forget because he just melds into those characters. Yeah, no, I was thinking of... What's that old movie he was in? One of his first with... Last uh, of the Mohicans? I forgot about so that hot. one, too. Julia Binoche? Yeah, something like that. Seems like they would be in a movie together. Oh, Unbearable Lightness of Being. That's it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jen, that movie. That's so sad, isn't it? It's so sad. But who's in it with him? What's her face? I think you're right. Juliette Binoche. Binoche. She's French, isn't she? Yeah. Anyway, that's when I worked at the video store. And I watched it on VHS. It is Juliette Binoche. This is silly. By the way. (laughs) Um, I'm just going off my memory. I well, want, I said Juliet. I just, want you, I just want you to confirm that I did not look up anything. <laughs> she didn't. I was the Google, the Googler. <clears throat> it makes okay. me feel so proud of myself. Sorry, okay, go ahead.